Luke chapter 18 is where we are today. And in preparation for Easter, um, we're, we're asking this question, who is Jesus? You know, Jesus makes it to the cover of magazines. He's the topic of a lot of books. We know a lot about Jesus just to know that he's a good teacher and he's a compassionate leader. He was super compassionate to children in a society that, that uh, frowned upon children. He honored women in a generation where women were basically not counted at all. We know that Jesus was a threat to the Roman Empire, although he never ran for office or wanted to seek office. We also know this, that Jesus' Jesus' legacy way outlasted his life and outlasted anyone else's life. So it begs the question, who is Jesus? So our Father in heaven, as we open your word now, uh, help us to see him for who he really is and embrace him and follow him, we pray. And may we take on the character traits that are his, that we might be more conformed to the image of your dear son, our Savior, the one we claim as Lord. And may we be the people who, um, who not only follow, but who emulate his life and his values. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Today I want to just explore one topic with you about who Jesus is. And the topic is that he's a friend. But he's not just a friend to anybody. He's a friend to everybody, but he's a friend particularly to sinners. Okay? Now that may seem unusual to you, but here is what the public said about him during his lifetime. They said, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, Luke chapter 7, here is a glutton and a drunkard. That's not a compliment. And he is a friend to tax collectors and sinners. In other words, he is friend to the wrong people. He is a friend way beyond what he should be. Again, in Luke chapter 15, not exactly a compliment. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He'll eat with anybody, in other words. That was not a compliment. And when given the opportunity He chose to be around people that you and I might actually avoid, people like tax collectors. We smile, and perhaps nervously, because we are getting close to that April 15 day, but we we smile when we talk about tax collectors because they are not usually our best friends. When a tax collector calls and says, I'd like to stop by for a little audit, you know, that's not a happy day in your life. In Jesus' day, it symbolized not only that power, but it symbolized a greedy kind of traitor because Rome had actually invaded Palestine and it was a forced occupation and they demanded horrendous taxes in order to pay for their conquest. So they would go into a land, take it over, and then demand tax from the people. And that money would go back not only to pay for the expansion of the Roman Empire, but it would go back to pay for the lavish living that was happening in Rome. The new regime knew that they couldn't find every house, every subdivision, every nook and cranny, every business that was uh, garnering a profit. They knew they couldn't find them all. And so what the Roman Empire did was they hired people who were in that land that they would take over. And they, they would hire people within that land and they would say, we need so much money out of this square of land. You go get it. And anything you get above and beyond that is yours to keep. And so they would actually go into a piece of property and they would hire, for instance, in this case, in Palestine, they would hire Jewish tax collectors. And that was the ultimate betrayal because these guys would now go back to their subdivision, 
to their housing development and they would sell them out for cash. And they exacted a toll on those people. Plus, they would offer, well, for you, I need a little more. And they would actually gain some profit. And they had the Roman guards to enforce this tax. It was a, it was a forced tax that you couldn't get away from. And so these tax collectors were seen not only as disloyal to um, the Jewish nation, to Palestine itself, but to their own brotherhood. And they did it for the sake of profit. And with that gain, that incredible gain of money came you know, the immediate loss of friendships, but they didn't care. And if you've ever labeled a person a sinner before, this is the kind of person you would label a sinner. But watch what Jesus does. Take a look at this video clip, and, and uh, this will explain it a little better. Stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves, adulterers, or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. See, now he even calls the sinners to follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. Tax collectors. There's not a thread of good in any of them. Thomas, Jesus has not come for the good, but for the sinners. He gives people a second chance. We should too. 
Jesus chooses to be with the person that no one wants to be with, the real traitor, national, political, defense system traitor, religious, social, and even the family traitor. He is unjust and he can be bought. He is so used to overcharging and being disloyal, he doesn't know how to do anything else. And yet Jesus chooses him, not only, in this case, Matthew, not only to be with him, but to be one of his inner 12 of the circle. I, you know, when your mind wanders just for a moment, and I want you to think about it just for a minute. Think, would you, just for a bit, what would it have been like to have been the early church, or at least the opening band? You have a, one group who's fighting against the Roman Empire, they're the zealots. You have Peter who just talks incessantly. Then you have this other guy who's a traitor. And Jesus says, I call you all friends. In fact, you're going to found the church. You know, it's such a variety of people. The only thing they had in common was Jesus. And isn't it interesting, too, how we would say, well, that guy's a real sinner. That'd be a capital S. I'm a sinner, but it's a small s. Right? I mean, really. When you were a kid, you fed the vegetables off your plate to the dog, and you blamed your brother or sister when you did something wrong. You read in bed with the blankets over your head but with a flashlight on. And when asked, you just say, well, that's a creative, entrepreneurial, innovative, kind of thinking outside the box kind of kid that I am. You know. But when that kid grows up, that kid will opt for money even if it's a little dirty. And that kid will grow up to be more loyal to his pockets than to his friends. He'll even sell out his countrymen and we will say about that guy, he's a sinner. She is a sinner. You see, the things that are sins to us, we like to think is somehow small s, innovative, stretching the limit. But sins that other people do, that's real sin, right? It's easy for me to thump on sins that aren't mine, come down hard on those, and then go easy on my own. Jesus seemed to go easy on everybody if they would just come to him in faith. And so when we open our Bibles to Matthew, or to Luke chapter 18, the story of Matthew, and then Jesus tells it as a parable, this tells me this is happening more than once with Jesus. Not only does he call Matthew, but then he tells a story, chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. This is another setting of the same thing. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, we know who a tax collector is now, but who's this Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone who is educated in the ways of the laws of God, Old Testament law in particular, but this a Pharisee is also not only learned in the law of God, but his job is to teach and enforce the law and, and after years of doing this and generations of doing this, now, not only do they have the Ten Commandments, they have 600 more laws they've learned. Okay? It feels kind of like government, doesn't it? Where you have laws upon laws upon laws. Next thing you know, you know the price, how we adjust the price of cabbage in Kansas is a book you know, two inches thick. And that's what happened with Pharisees. They got laws upon laws upon laws. And the next thing you know is they felt pretty important about themselves and they felt like the people were just part of the problem. 
and they thought they were bigger than the law itself and they demanded a ritual and a following of the law to the letter even though it 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 lost its way somehow the intent of the law and they couldn't even produce what they were demanding that was a pharisee so a pharisee and a tax collector at the temple verse 11 the pharisee stood by himself and prayed i think that's important you get that he stood by himself and prayed god I thank you that I'm not like other people. You can almost hear the tone, can't you? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. I think that's important too, to see what's happening there. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But we're starting to see a, a real contrast here, aren't we? Understand, we're all sinners. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. We all have that element within us. And understand... Um, there, there are some people who just know that they're sinners, then there are people who just are sinners but don't even know it. And that's the case with this Pharisee. He's what I call the religious type. He's a sinner who doesn't even know he's a sinner. Have you ever gone to a party and someone has something stuck between their teeth or they have like mascara on their forehead or, you know, sawdust on their chin and you're going, you know, you're trying to give them the signal and they're going back at you. What is your problem? And you're saying... You know, I'm trying to be nice to you, but you've... And they don't even realize it. That's the Pharisee when it comes to his sin. Number one, he's confident of his own self-righteousness, and he looks down on people. And thirdly, he prays not by talking to God, but he prays by talking about other people. That's important. He prays by comparison. Why does he do that? It's because it's all about him. Their words, even their prayers, are self-grand. They are self-congratulatory. Oh, God, I'm so glad I'm not like him. We are, and when we are pharisaical, I mean that in a derogatory way, when we are pharisaical, we are very self-righteous. He's really not talking to God. He's really just talking to himself about himself. God happens to be listening. The law called for a Pharisee to fast once a year at the Day of Atonement. This guy fasted twice a week. Custom tells us probably on Mondays and Thursdays, and that, that was the tradition of the day, which also happened to be market days in those cities. So those markets were full. Jerusalem was full of commerce during the very time you weren't allowed to be eating. And William Barclay, a scholar, comments that a guy like this one would actually, when he would fast on those Mondays or Thursdays, he would actually whiten his face, put a little powder on his face to make himself look a little more sickly, a little more deprived. He would just shovel his hair to make himself look a little more, um, a little more pious, a little more spiritual, because it's all about keeping up the appearances. This Pharisee also tithed, but he didn't just tithe what was required. He tithed on everything, even things that the, the law didn't require. There was no obligation for him to do what he was doing, and the Pharisee didn't pray to commune with God. He prayed to tell God how good of a deal he got. God, you... This is really your day because you got me. That's the religious type. But the irreligious type 
is the person who's just as much a sinner, but at least they know it. And they are humbled. You'll notice he stands at a distance. He doesn't just saunter his way in. He stands at a distance. He uses God as the standard. He doesn't even talk about other people. He knows before a holy God that he is not righteous. And he calls out for God's mercy. See, drastically different guy. And he throws himself to the mercy of God, knowing that he's not worthy. And some scholars tell us that this language in our English Bibles is not near strong enough. The tax collector actually says in some manuscripts, God have mercy on me, the sinner. The sinner. As if there were no one else in the temple or out on the patio that day. I am the guy I know you're looking at as the sinner. So why even go through an exercise like this? And the reason is because we, we tend to drift towards self-righteousness. It's, it's our own self-defense mechanism. We're, we're going to defend that and justify it somehow. And, and here's the conclusion. One is this. If you, if you want to earn God's favor, you have your work cut out for you. It's a hard uphill battle. But if you want to receive God's favor, all that's going to cost you is your pride. You humble yourself before Almighty God, and he will lift you up in due time. But your job is to humble yourself. Let God take care of your reputation. You take care of your character. You've heard me say that before. Ask God, God, would you make me aware, this is the prayer, for my drive of self, to self-confidence or my sense that I might be self-confident or to look at other people as somehow inferior or to, to look at people who are more sinful than I am so I'll feel better about myself. Because Jesus says it this way, that, that the, those who want to be exalted, you'll be exalted in your own way, in a short way. And that's the road to being humbled. But whoever will enter uh, the Lord's uh, presence humble, the Lord will exalt them. A generation later, Titus would put it, Titus 3, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, not because we can be good, no, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It was Carol Wimmer who gave us this great piece of art. Listen. When I say that I'm a Christian, I'm not shouting, I've been saved. I'm whispering that I get lost sometimes. That's why I chose this way. When I say that I am a Christian, I don't speak with human pride. I'm confessing that I stumble, needing God to be my guide. And when I say that I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and pray for strength to carry on. When I say that I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I've failed and I cannot pay the debt. And when I say that I'm a Christian, I don't think I know it all. I submit to my confusion, asking humbly to be taught. When I say that I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. 
When I say that I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartache, which is why I seek God's name. So when I say that I'm a Christian, I do not wish to judge. I have no authority. I only know that I am loved. So, my friends, if we are to be friends of sinners, we have our work cut out for us. And becoming a friend of a sinner is the work that Jesus did here on earth. So how do you do that? Well, I thought here was at least some starting points to get us launched into the week. The first thing we have to be doing is to stop the judgment calls. I call it Phariseeism. I don't know if that's a word, but I made it. Stop the judgment calls. The sense that you're holier than someone else. Because here's honestly what happens. If you and I, if we exact the moral code in the crowd, people can keep the moral code and still not know Jesus. They just become moralist. And that doesn't get them to heaven. It certainly doesn't get them forgiveness. And it doesn't get them to Jesus. So drop the judgment calls. If we create a generation that's morally elite, there'll be self-deceived people who play the part but really don't know Jesus. They can be close to Jesus, know all about him, but never really embrace him. Sometimes around the fall of the season, many of us in the room go to a doctor or clinic or someplace and we go get a flu shot. You know what a flu shot is, don't you? You don't want to get influenza or some kind of flu, so you get this flu shot. And all it is, basically, in the, in the most simple terms, it's a little bit of the flu. And they'll tell you, you're going to go home and feel just a little bit feverish and a little bit chilled, but this will keep you from getting the flu. And they'll give you just a little bit. And that little bit then raises the blood count in your system to make you immune to the real flu. You understand this. If we give people this moral code without giving them Jesus, it's like giving them the spiritual flu shot. You've given them just a little bit that will inoculate them to ever receiving the real deal. So we have to give up on thinking that we can make judgment calls. You ought to be better at this and better at that. And the reality is, you can't get better. That's where grace really steps in. So number two, we raise the awareness in the presence of grace in our discussions, in our lives. We admit openly, I'm, I'm in the same situation. The only difference is I'm trusting Christ. I seek his posture and his way of living, but I, I seek him early. When early Christians were revered as special, and somehow, ooh, they're super spiritual, and they would make a big deal about who they are, the book of Acts tells us the story. Those followers of Jesus would tear their clothes and they would say, friends, we're no different than you. We are human just like you. The only difference is, is we found the Savior. So we speak highly of grace. We, we, drop, we drop all the judgment calls. We raise the sense of grace and the presence of grace in the room. And like Romans chapter 12, we don't think more highly of ourselves. We take ourselves seriously and we take our other people a little lighter and we take God very seriously. And then we extend grace, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We extend grace and that extending of grace helps us not only to embody the grace that Jesus has for us, but allows us to be conduits of the grace for others. So number one, drop the judgment calls. Number two, 
raise the awareness of his grace, but number three, uh, simply love and accept because a friend sticks close. A friend sticks close. A friend doesn't condone every aspect of your life. No, my friends don't. No, my friends are honest with me. Maybe not totally all the time, but, but they're friends. Even when I'm good, even when I'm bad. That's what love does. A love doesn't make um, the friendship conditional. It allows for open, honest dialogue. And being a friend to a person doesn't mean that you're going to win every argument with them. It means you're going to win their trust. And so we have our work cut out for us to be uh, loving friends, not necessarily condoning everything that our friends do, but loving means that we're out for their best good. And I don't know how Jesus did it, but he had the ability to love the sinner regardless of the sin. Didn't seem to ruffle his feathers, if you will. People make statements like that, and other people go, he had feathers? No, he, he didn't have feathers just didn't seem to ruffle his agenda. And we have to be that way. And so I'm going to close in prayer here. And, and when I do, my prayer is going to be a prayer I'm going to ask you to be a part of too. And it's a prayer that I'm praying. Um, over the weekend, I was, I was jotting what the close should be. And my prayer was this. God, have mercy on me that I would love people the way you do. That I would love people the way you do. All right? Let's pray that together. And I pray you pray that in your heart as I pray it aloud. Let's stand to our feet as we bow our heads. Like, uh, like the tax collector, Lord, we pray, dear God, have mercy upon us. We know, we see, and we know our sin. But because you love us, Lord, you don't want to leave us there at our sin. You, you want to pull us up, and we want to go with you. But now we're concerned with the way we communicate and how we communicate with people around us. May we be known like Jesus as people who are friends to sinners. Way more loving than we are judgmental. Way more gracious than perhaps is wise. Giving up our own agenda to try to change them instead just exude the grace that you've worked in our own lives. I'm going to ask you, uh, just where you're standing, would you just ask the Lord God of heaven, God, may you make me aware of my own sin, but may you change my heart too to really love the sinners around me. And this will be the mark, Lord, in Southern Maryland, that all, all people will know that we are your disciples because of the way that we love, even sinners like us. We thank you for your love for us. May we be loving of the people around us this week, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.